This has been an interesting last week for me, and, and I wanted to tell you some of it um, because it's, it's been kind of, uh, well, it's been kind of fun, actually. Now, I do a lot of counseling, and, uh, you know, a lot of our staff does, and it's interesting how the counseling just kind of runs up and down. It'll sometimes just really ramp up, and then sometimes it'll peter out to nothing, and, and it's just kind of hard to predict that way. Lately, there's been a lot of it, and some of the stuff that people are coming to talk about is really tough stuff, you know, just really difficult things in their lives. And, um, you know, just just talking to people about them, trying to be present, obviously it's difficult, but it's amazing the things that people are really going through, real-life things. There's so many folks that, I don't know, is, is, is cancer going around like the flu lately? I don't know, what the heck? It's just, it's crazy how many people I know that are suddenly being diagnosed. Now, maybe it's our age, I don't know, some of us, but it's, it's just devastating. It's crazy. Relationships and, and jobs and so on and so forth. So many things. I got an email from a friend of mine who lives on the East Coast, and um, he's someone that just, just found us through the Internet, and we've been pen pals and email buddies for about six years now. And I've gotten quite close. I've only met him once when he was out here, but he's just a great guy. He finds himself in a difficult position with his church and interpersonal things going on and retirement. I mean, you kind of name it. It's, it's all just in the mix there. But I got this from him just uh, was on the 4th, whatever day that was, Thursday. He says, I think the nail hit the coffin yesterday. That's kind of an interesting way of putting it. I wish I had read your letter several times before I met with the church leaders. I've been hitting the gym and the sauna lately due to my rehabilitation. So after the meeting, I'm in the sauna that evening listening to a song that has a guy laughing and obviously enjoying creating the music. And as that song was playing or just after, I see this little kid run by with swimmies attached to his arms. Never heard them called swimmies before. I guess it's an East Coast thing. For starters, he's running. So he just broke rule number one. And he comes careening around the corner and he heads toward the far end of the pool, pivots 90 degrees and just jumps into the water as though it was the greatest thing in the world. It was at that moment I probably saw the error of my trajectory. How do we go from the joy of a kid like that to the freaking mess that I find myself in now? How do adults become so utterly lost to that little kid who just jumped into the pool? I think the thing finally blew up yesterday, and of course I was involved. And he goes on and gives details that are not important right now, but can you picture that? I mean, just put yourself in that place. You've probably been in that place. I know I have. You know, sitting there, heavy, miserable, running over all the stuff that for him just happened in that meeting, but you fill in the blanks there. All of that stuff lost in those dark thoughts. The song is like, to me, it's one of those ironic soundtracks in a movie, you know, where something really heavy is happening and they play something happy. And it's just like, it's heightening the sense of of devastation to a certain degree. But it's also, I think, in his case, preparing him to see this child run through, kind of like a one-two punch. Hearing the song, hearing the joy that is not accessible to him right now, and then seeing this little guy run through with the swimmies, and seeing the kind of energy, the kind of absolute joy and abandon that maybe he's realizing has eluded him for a long, long time. Maybe he hadn't even realized how long that it had been since he felt like that and could be like that. 
And it just jumped out at me right off the page because for me, this last week, this was the third in a series of connection points, things that had happened during the week. And I don't know about you, but uh, do you ever get messages in threes? It's interesting how that works. You know, the first time you hear something, it just kind of goes right over your head, right through the ears and just out the other side. And then the second time you hear it, you know, then you're aware of it. And then the third time is when you start to actually pay attention. And it was like that for me, you know. Um, I tend to be understated when it comes to the voice of God in my life. Right? You know that. I come from a real intellectual kind of base, and I've been moving more and more and more over to the emotional side, but i got a ways to go. You know, Marion is already there. She precedes me. So we got to kind of balance that out. So I kind of understate these things, but there are some connections that you have that just seem to add up to more than the sum of the parts. And that's how I felt about this week. You know? This image of the swim kid brought me right back to Jesus and children. And I know I've talked about this so many times, this quality of Jesus, that he was a kid magnet and the connection he had with children. But it hit me in a different way. Let's, let's just read this real quickly. Matthew 18, starting at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? All right, there's a practical question. Here's all his followers. You know, they've been doing this for a few years now, and they want to know, where's the pecking order? Where's the food chain? Where am I in this whole thing? When this thing blows open and goes global, do I get to see? This is what they're going through their heads. You know, they have so misread what Jesus is about, so misread what it is he's trying to do. And they come to him with this question, and Jesus calls a child over. So you just picture this. You know, they're in a marketplace out in front of a house or something on a street, and they're having this discussion, and here's this child over there. He's probably got swimmies on, right? And Jesus calls him over, and he sets him before all of these grown men and says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. I've spoken about this kind of thing, in this quality of Jesus so many times, but sometimes it just hits with additional force. This is one of those times for me. I know that you've had the experience of reading the scripture, sometimes reading other you know, types of material, and it just hits you right between the eyes, and then other times not so much, or you come back to it again later, and it's just right there. And this is the reminder that kids in Jesus' day were just like our kids now. No difference. And adults in Jesus' day were just like us. No difference. That's why all of this is so relevant. That's why all of this still has this contrast that we need to see if we're paying attention. And this week got my attention. So let me back up a little bit. Last uh, Thursday and, and Friday, Marion and I took our, our 14-year-old son, Brennan, to San Diego, and the main event was to go to the zoo. And Brennan wanted to go to the zoo. I hadn't been to the zoo in, I don't know, it seems like four, five, six years. I don't know when was the last time I went to the San Diego Zoo. Anyone here not been to the San Diego Zoo? A couple of you, you've got to go to the zoo. It's all happening at the zoo, don't you know? <laughs> the zoo. Now, <laughs> I was... 
You know, coming off the week that I had had, you know, there's, there's, there was all kinds of difficulties and things. So we kind of hit the vacation as, as short as it was, you know, at 80 miles an hour. But I wanted, I was determined to slow down. I was determined to be present. I was determined to have a good time, you know? <laughs> Gotta do this. So Friday morning comes along and, uh, and we, we get to the zoo. My God. We can park right in front of the entrance, and the parking is free. How cool is this? Last time I was there, I circled for 45 minutes and had to park about a mile away, drop everybody off and walk back. There's parking right there. It's so cool. We're walking in, and you know, maybe I'm overdoing it a little bit with the frivolity and the upness. We're standing in line to go buy our tickets. And all of a sudden, here comes this older couple, I mean, probably mid-late 70s. They look like old hippies to me. You know, they just kind of had the, 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 the kind of clothing and the kind of demeanor to them. And they come up and they say, where are you all from? And it's like, are you from San Diego? No, we're from Orange County. And we tell them where that is. And have you bought your tickets yet? And it's like, no. He says, well, you know, we have these passes and they expire in a week. And we already have our own passes. So we would like to gift these to you. And they gave us three tickets. And as they were talking, and they, they made the little thing, you know, we were asking the Lord, who should we give these to? And he was telling, and so now it comes out that I'm a pastor, and they practically went apoplectic at that point. <laughs> and they grab us, and we're praying in line. People are walking around us as we're praying, you know. And, and they give us these tickets. You know, that's like 180 bucks. We're like, yeah. But it was, it was the connection. You know, it was that they, of all the people that they could have found, found us. And, and then we met them inside. You know, they went in their separate members' entrance, and we come. And they just go to the, to the zoo and power walk. You know, that's just like their place to go. Like you would go down to the beach. They go to the zoo and power walk. And, and uh, they took us to the orangutans because we didn't know where they were, and they knew where everything was. And we, we talked some more, got to know them. It was Nick and Barb. And he'd tell me when he got saved in 1972 and all the things that happened. And we, we got to know. It was just an amazing start to the day. And I was worried about Marion because of her fibro, but she was like energized by this because, you know, that's where she lives with these kind of encounters. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, I suppose I can count this off to some sort of coincidence, but, you know, this is pretty cool. And as we're just walking through the, the zoo, the zoo is an amazing, it's like, not like any other zoo I've ever been to. All of the hills and the ravines and the valleys, the dense foliage. Do you know that thing has been there for 102 years? They told us it was established in 1916. Who knew? And so the, the foliage is mature and dense, and you're walking into these tree tunnels, and it's, it's just so cool. And then the aviaries kind of blew me away. I'd been in there before, but maybe I wasn't paying attention like I was. There was one called the Owens Aviary. The thing is immense. It's double-decked. They have uh, paths going through at two different levels, so you're in the trees or you're on the ground. I mean, it's just so cool. And I'm just drinking it all in. We dragged Brennan onto the gondolas so that I could be up in the air, and we did all of these things. I was just having the best time. And then we got to the gorilla enclosure, and this thing is absolutely amazing. It's got a waterfall in it, and there's just one nuclear family there, you know, the, the male, the female, and they have a three-year-old baby. That, that was born there. And so the big silverback, the male, he was just asleep by the waterfall, so he was no fun. The mother was just kind of sitting by herself over against these glass windows and just, you know, just picking for roots or whatever it is she could eat. But the little guy, 
just a, this young male, three years old. He is up and down the, uh, the poles and swinging from the ropes and just doing all this stuff. And the crowd is gathering because he's putting on this show. And then he comes down and there's some, some branches, eucalyptus branches, right in front of the glass. And so he's stripping those off and he was eating them. And there was a guy right next to the glass on the far side with a red t-shirt on. And I think that might have attracted him because he saw that. So he walks over to the glass and this guy was playing with him and he knew exactly how to do it. It was so much fun. He would go down so he was underneath the, uh, the, the concrete. And he'd pop his head up, you know, and, and, and the, uh, the gorilla, the young gorilla, was so funny because he was establishing his territory. He literally did this. <laughs> you know? And then he, he gets up to the glass and he does his shoulder thing. Bam! Against the glass. And the guy falls over and makes a big deal out of it, you know? <laughs> And then he gets up and he goes like this. And they just went on and on. And you're watching this thing. The crowd is getting bigger and bigger. And then he would go back over and eat some more of the leaves. And then he'd come back and they'd start all over again. And then as he went back to eat the leaves one time, this young girl is walking past. And he's right against the glass. And he turns and he looks at her. And she goes like this. He turns out, bam, with his shoulder. And it just freaked the heck out of her. She ran, you know. But we're watching this. And it's just like, it's so amazing. He could have had swimmies on, you know, because he was just so exuberant. He was having so much fun. He was playing with us. And, you know, the whole day kind of was like that. When the best thing that you eat all day is a snow cone, you know, you know that you have entered a different realm. Marion found these, these snow cones, and they were huge. You could get them spiked, too, but we didn't do that. It was a mango snow cone, and I didn't even want one. I didn't think, but once I tasted it, I ate it half of hers. But it was just like moving back into this, this different place. When I was, I was talking a little bit to Tina about this last Sunday, and she said, I bet you were thinking about all the sermon applications for this the whole time. <laughs> and here I am doing it, but what I told her, and I, and I kid you not, I am not lying here, I was not thinking a thing about that while I was there. I was just there. Every once in a while, I had to try to take a picture of the elephant or the flamingos or something, but then I was just back into it. I was really there, and I was having the best time. And then we come home, and of course, our dogs greet us, you know, and they're all over us. They're jumping really over Marion, not so much me, but they're all over her, you know. It's like it's only been two days, you know, but they're acting like it was two months or two years since they've seen us last, but that's what dogs do, right? It could have been two hours and they would have been acting the same way, especially the little one. The little one is Runer. Runer, <laughs> actually, Marion named it Brew, but I named it, renamed it Runer because it ruins everything. <laughs> so, Runer is about three years old. It's a little Chihuahua something mix. I have no idea, but he's only she's she's only about this big. And every morning that you get up, you know. It's like the first day of her life. Every time you come home, it's the first time that she's seen you. This tail is just whipsawing constantly with her. And she costs you in bed in the morning, and she's licking and jumping around doing this thing. And Marion just, you know, just said something the next morning. She said, this dog is so happy. This dog is happy all the time. This dog has one game. It's tug of war with one of her toys, and then you throw it, and she brings it back and won't give it to you. So you have to tug of war again. And... But she plays it for everything that's worth. If I get the toy and I'm holding it up, her eyes are fixed on it. 
You ever seen that in a dog? I mean, it's like life and death. She's got to have this thing, got to have this thing. She's like an overtuned guitar string, just vibrating, got to have this thing. And you throw it, and she takes off. You know, it's crazy what she does. It's just the one game that she knows, but she plays it for everything. You take her out for a walk. It's like the same circuit every night so she can go do her thing. It's like she's never seen this before. Wow, this is so cool. Now, dog brains being what they are. But you know the interesting thing about dogs? They remember you. They can remember you for years. There's been dogs that haven't seen their masters for years, and they come back and they remember them, you know, but they don't remember the walk that they took the night before. So it's like they can remember people, they can remember things, but apparently they don't remember time. Time just is oblivious to them. That's an interesting quality when you think about it, you know? So we've got a young ape, we've got a young dog. And we got a young boy with swimmies on, and you got me with a snow cone. Is there a pattern forming here? I wanted to read Matthew 19, starting at verse 13. Then some children were brought to him, this is Jesus, so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. So these are parents bringing their children. They want the holy man. They want the, they want the itinerant rabbi to bless their children to make it all right, you know? Because the parents are the ones worrying. The kids don't care. You know, they just want to run around. But they're bringing them to Jesus to lay hands on them. And his handlers, his disciples, rebuked the parents. Get him him gone. This is a important man. He's got stuff to do. But Jesus said, let the children alone. Do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Okay, that's the NASB translation. And I think it's an unfortunate translation. And what I think is unfortunate is the word belongs. It's misleading in the sense that it implies ownership of something that can't be owned. We can't own kingdom. It's not ours to possess. I know in the Jewish idiom, the idea of inheriting something, it is yours to inherit. It is something that is passed to you. Okay, that's, that's, that's fine in their idiomatic expression. But for us to hear it as belongs is misleading for us. It implies ownership of something that can't be owned. But even more importantly and more damagingly, it implies distance from something that can't be separated. You know, there's really just two Greek words there that are translated as belongs to to them. One of them is just the verb to be. One of the forms of the verb to be is, right? And the other one is teutas, which means of this sort, it means like, or it means such a one. So in a change of fortune, in one instance where I'm going to take the King James (laughs) over a 20th century translation, look how the King James translates that. But Jesus said, suffer little children. Suffer means permit in Middle English. Permit little children and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And look how the Peshitta, which is the Aramaic full version of the Bible that we have, the only one left in existence. Yeshua then said to them, Allow the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for of those who are like these is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is us. We are kingdom There is no separation. There's no subject-object. There's nothing to own in that respect. 
We are kingdom. Kingdom are us. Children are kingdom. When? When does that happen? When do we become kingdom? What, what is Jesus trying to, to tell us here? Well, the text implies it, but it doesn't tell us absolutely outright what it is about children that makes them kingdom. So what I want to do is I want to read to you another passage. And this is from the Gospel of Thomas. And I don't know if you are familiar with the Gospel of Thomas. Now, it's non-canonical, so you can take it or leave it, right? It's, it's, not, it's one of those books that didn't get into the Bible. But the Gospel of Thomas is really interesting. It's just a saying's gospel. It's just Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said. And what it often does is mirror sayings that are in the canonical gospels, but often gives more information, gives a little more of a slant. Now, whether it's the right slant or the wrong slant, I don't know. In this case, I wouldn't be reading it to you if I didn't think it's pointing us in the direction because it's amplifying a point that Jesus always makes. Now, it's going to sound crazy to you, but take a listen or take a read if you've got your inserts with you. This is the Gospel of Thomas saying 22. Jesus saw some babies nursing, and he said to his disciples, These nursing babies are like those who enter the Father's kingdom. And they said to him, Then shall we enter the Father's kingdom as babies? Isn't this great? Every time Jesus is trying to make a spiritual point or a metaphor, they always take it literally. You know, you must be born again. How can I crawl back into my mother's room? You know, you need the, you need the living water. Oh, good, give me some of that so I don't have to keep coming back to this well. You know, always taking it literally. Okay, so we're going to enter the Father's king as babies. You can almost see Jesus rolling his eyes. Oh, jeez. But Jesus says to them, when you make the two into one, and when you make the inner like the outer, and the outer like the inner, and the upper like the lower. And when you make male and female into a single one, so that the male will not be male, nor the female be female. When you make eyes in place of an eye, a hand in place of a hand, a foot in place of a foot, an image in place of an image, then you will enter the kingdom. What is he talking about? See, It sounds very strange to us. It sounds very oblique. But this is the same point that Jesus is always trying to get across to us. He's talking about unity. He's talking about taking all of the distinctions that we normally make in life as adults that keep us separated one from another and from the moment and merging them into one. Think about it. When our inner thoughts, when our inner demeanor matches our outer demeanor, when the way that we deal with people in the community exterior to ourselves is the same as the self-talk that's going inside our head, how comfortable would that be? When the upper matches the lower, when we see no more hierarchy, when we only see one person, not above us, not below us, there's no subservience, is just a flat org chart. Everybody is equal. When we're not distinguishing by male and female, and how much is that tearing our society apart right now? Could we just bring that together and see each other as people? Wow. How would that be experienced in your day to day if we weren't constantly making all these distinctions and all of these disruptions and all of these us and them, all of these subject and objects, all of this ownership and rights and all of this stuff, if that were to go away. And what the heck is he talking about here with eyes in place of an eye and 
feet in place of feet and all this. See, to the Jew, this is the way that they looked at covetousness, right? Desiring someone else's goods. It was first the eye that saw it, and an image developed, an image of desire. And then it was the foot that takes you there, and it's the hand that grabs it. And so that's why Jesus said, hey, if your eye is causing you to stumble, gouge it out. If your hand is causing you to stumble, cut it off. And in Luke, if your foot is causing you to stumble, cut it off. This is what he's to that whole scenario of developing an image of something that you want and the evolution of what it takes for you to actually get there. This is what Jesus is talking. Replace that with the kind of unity that he's talking about in John 17. That oneness, that connection. Because what happens as soon as you want something? As soon as you're desiring something, what happens? Suddenly, this moment is not enough anymore, is it? You just took your swimmies off. This moment is now poor. This moment is not sufficient. This moment is terrible because there's something out there that i got to have. Suddenly, you are separated yourself from an outcome, yourself from something that you don't have. Now, somebody else has that thing and you don't, so now you got envy to deal with. Put that all together, and this moment becomes absolutely enough. Jesus says this over and over and over again in different ways, but it's so interesting the way it's stated here in this gospel that didn't make it in. Making everything into one. This is what he's trying to get us to do. When everything is merged into one, then it's going to be like the nowness of an infant, just a suckling infant who doesn't have the capacity to do anything else. It's going to be like a small dog running around at your feet and wagging its tail and looking at you as if you are the sun, the moon, and the stars. You know, It's going to be like a small ape just playing for everything that he's worth and having the best time. Or it's going to be like a small boy with swimmies on jumping into a pool like it's the greatest thing in the world. Or even it could be like an old guy like me who allows himself to just melt into the scenery, to really be with the people that he's with and to enjoy and see what's going on. Brother Lawrence is my hero because he has taken this to an art form, this 16th century monk who was placed as the cook in his abbey. And look what he says here. The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were on my knees at the Blessed Sacrament. Lord of all pots and pans and things, Make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Do you have that attitude when you're making dinner? Or washing the dishes? He says our sanctification does not depend upon our changing our works. Our sanctification does not depend on our changing our works. Doing different things, going to Africa, building a big ministry, 24-7 satellite network. It doesn't mean we need to change our works, but upon our doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual walk with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. 
It's hard to say these things and have them have the impact that they really deserve in our lives until we've experienced them. Just walking through a zoo like that and being engulfed, there was nothing in the world that I needed more than what I had that day, that afternoon. It was all one thing, continuous, seamless. And what Jesus is talking about here in Thomas and in the Gospel of John and Mark and Luke and Matthew is a fundamental change in our perception of life. Trying to get that across to us. We were born with it, this other way of looking at life, this other perception. We had it as children, and then we lost it at the age of reason. And we continued to move further and further away from it as we move into young adulthood, through adolescence, all that craziness that goes on, all of the hurts and the traumas and the things that get stuck in our craw and we can't get rid of for 20, 30, 40 years. That's why the unremembrance is so important here that Jesus is talking about, that we just talked about at communion time. Because unless we can convert, and that word there, convert, in the King James, doesn't mean a mental change. It doesn't mean we agree to believe something different because sometimes we use it that way. It literally means a change of direction. Jews are always concerned with how something functions, not what it looks like. So conversion here is to change and become again like this child who recognizes faces but not the passage of time. Sees everything as new. Sees everything as brand newly just this full of wonder. Can we get back to that? Because as adults, we have learned to see life as a task. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. Not only that, more importantly, it has an agenda. It has an, an outcome that we're supposed to hit, right? It's a means to another end. And whether that is the reward of heaven or whether that is successful, whatever we're trying to build in this life, or if it's just the avoidance of eternal punishment, whatever it is, everything we're doing here is geared toward that out there. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you create that separation, then you're out of kingdom. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across. Can you make that switch, that fundamental switch in perception of life, that life is not a task? It's absolutely not a task. It's not a means to any end. In truth, there is no end to life that is not separate. Let me say that again. There is no means. Let me start again. I can't get this one right. There is no end to life that is separate from the means of living it. Let me say that again. There's no end to life that is separate from the means that we use to live it. In other words, life is all means. This moment right here, right now, life really is just the singular experience of just one moment. This one. Always this one. There is no other. When we are here, when we are now, this is what Jesus is saying. When we take all those disparate things and make them one, then we're living in kingdom. All your life, all of life is lived right now. What kingdom is, is doing just that. This is what the children have to teach us. And our dogs, and nature, 
and everything that stands outside of this linear sense of time. And when we do actually begin to see this, when that first perception starts to work in us, then life can become playful again. The experience of it can absolutely change. And we can see God's hand again, even in the tiniest things. So let me end with this one last story. Because my week wasn't over yet. Yesterday I came in here because I, I had to do some audio production. And I also we hadn't reset the chairs from last Wednesday where we were in here in a circle. And so I came in here and I was resetting the chairs. And, you know, it's just menial tasks. And, you know, in my mind I can think, yeah. I'm the pastor. I shouldn't be doing this. I should have people for this. You know. I can... But it was, it was fine. I just got into it, and I was just having fun. It was kind of cool and dark in here, and I'm just doing my thing. And I go back into the office there that we have, and I'm doing what I need to do with all of the uh, the audio work and everything. And I'm thinking, oh, man, it's, it's, it's still early. It's only like 1.30. I'll get back. I can get uh, prepping for today and so on and so forth. And I gather up all my stuff, and I pull the door shut. And then I go to set the alarm, and I'm out the door. And just as I walk into the parking lot, and the door is going shut slowly, I reach down, and I realize I don't have my keys. And there's that, that feeling that goes through you, you know, because you know what you did. You're trying to talk yourself out of it. I wouldn't have been so stupid, but I knew what I did. And I had to jump back and grab the handle on the door before it shut, and I would have been locked out of the building. So I come back in, and I'm looking through here. I'm looking. I know the keys are locked in my office. I know that. But I don't want to believe that, you know. There must be some other solution. So what do I do? Now, this is the worst possible time this could happen. Marion is in Cherry Valley with her, with her, with her parents. And um, she's the one who has the extra car key, I think. Or maybe it's at home. I don't know. Frank is up on the other side of the mountain. Who knows where Frank is? He's the other one with a master key. So I call both of them. They don't even answer, of course. And so I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to have to tell Frank to come in an hour early because I can't even get into the office to do this. And I'm trying to free thinking all this stuff. And then I call my son, who's at home. His car won't start because his battery's dead. So I'm thinking, all right. Now, I, I, to my credit, I stayed pretty calm through all this. It was fine. I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to walk home. And then when Marion gets home, we'll see if we can find the car key. And we'll come back and we'll do this and do that. So I'm thinking through it. And I'm getting ready to leave and I'm ready to walk home. And then I thought, hey, I've seen enough crime shows. Maybe I can break into my office because I had this... <laughs> It's sort of a, one of those cards, but it's not really a credit card. It's kind of flexible. And so I, I'm sitting there trying to jam it in there that, and get it around so it'll open the strike. And I'm working on that for a while. And all of a sudden I hear this sound and I go over there. And here comes one of the COA guys into his office. Do you have a master key? He does. And he unlocks my office and there's my keys right where I left them. And all is right with the world. I can just blow that off as coincidence. I can, he said, you know, I wasn't even planning on coming in today. I don't know why I decided to come in today. You know, it's like, yeah, I think I do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's true. We can, we can see things the way we want to see them. And this week of hippies and dogs and apes and little boys with swimmy and snow cones just kind of turned me around. It just felt like there was a guiding hand. It felt like things were coming together in such a way to just give me a break. And even when things started to go wrong, they got resolved again. You know, it's our choice to see things the way we want to see them.
But there are consequences to our choices. What Jesus is telling us is if we can make this fundamental change, if we can start to see things from this place of absolute connection, that this moment is not leading anywhere. This moment is all there is. Can you live it that way? Like a little boy with swimmies, can you live it that way? Then you'll know what kingdom means and how your Father loves you. Let's pray. Father, for me personally, thank you for this week. And thank you for my family and thank you for everything that has helped me to see something again. For all of us, Lord, help us. Adult life is difficult. You know that. The things that we get hit with are way more serious than lost keys. Way more serious. And it's hard for us to know how to react. Hard for us to know what to believe, what to trust, who to trust. Help us to see through even the most grievous things that we're dealing with, the scariest things that we're dealing with. And help us to see that we can always, every moment, come to ground and find you already there waiting for us. Help us to continue to practice that more and more, especially in the times that hurt so badly. You are our God. Let us, let you prove that to us every moment in this moment. And thank you, Father, for everything that you give us and for the way that you love us. Never let us forget, we can only love because you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.